Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greg Palast is on the line with us, our old buddy, the investigative journalist, author of How Trump Stole 2020. GregPalast.com is his website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palast, just like my Twitter handle is Tom underscore Hartman. Greg, welcome back. What are they trying to cancel in Georgia? Well, Tom, put down that pizza and no one gets hurt. I can't make this up. Uh, (laughs) The Georgia legislature voted, among other things, to make giving out slices of pizza and bottled water to voters in line a felony crime. As you know, there's a Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, has been played as a great hero defending our democracy. He says, no, we don't need such a law because he'd already declared that handing out Pizza and bottled water to voters in line in Georgia is a go-to-jail felony crime. Look, I can't make it up, but having been in Georgia, and by the way, we went down to investigate the Greg Palast investigative team, and sure enough, we caught this uh, conspiracy of, of criminals trying to bribe voters. They're wearing these hats that said Papa John's. I don't know if you're familiar with the Papa John's pizza pusher gang, but they're a dangerous crowd. Notorious Democrats. To give, <laughs> try to give water. And, well, they weren't giving out pizza slices, but calzones, which are kind of pocket pizzas. You know, it's still a crime. But yeah. this is what's going on. And understand, let's also, besides the kind of weird Orwellian humor of it, the truth is that one of the big problems is that they've been making it so difficult to vote early for voters of color that you end up with these massive lines. When I was in Georgia in this general and the runoff elections, you had in one place line of 11 hours, and it is a crime to give someone standing in line a bottle of water while they're standing there for hours. So they cut off the voting. For example, if you go to gregpalace.com, you'll actually see a film of these criminals, that is, these so-called Papa John's pizza people, handing out water and handing out calzones. The reason why there was a massive line where I was in Cobb County is that they had 11 polling stations during the general election for early voting. It's a huge county with half a million voters. And uh, they cut it from 11 stations to five. All six 
voting stations in Cobb County that were closed were in African-American neighborhoods. And they only left the five stations that were in white areas. So, of course, black folk ended up flooding into what is normally the white voting stations, and you ended up with hours and hours of people waiting. And if you dare give them a bottle of water or anything, you could literally get busted. And I saw this. I, you know, even journalists were told you can't talk to voters, nothing. It's all – so they, they make the lines ridiculously long, and then they literally make it painful to even vote. That's just one of the things that they came up with in a vote. HB 531, they call it. That's just one of the things. So, for example, Tom, they're going to cut early voting. They're going to have only one Sunday vote for early voting. Now, understand, Sunday voting is when most – the majority of African Americans in Georgia and Hispanics – voted souls to the polls. You go after church. People don't have cars, so they go in church buses. So they want to cut out the black voting day. They want to say because Trump got crushed in the mail-in balloting in Georgia, and that's how he lost Georgia, and Warnock and Ossoff both won their runoffs with the mail-in ballot, and they want to make it virtually outlaw the mail-in ballot by saying you have to have an excuse an excuse to vote that's verified, and you also have to include, and this will confuse a lot of people, an acceptable ID has to be included with your mail-in ballot, despite the fact that they couldn't prove that one single voter mailed in a ballot that wasn't theirs. There wasn't a single case of identified voter theft, uh, vote identity theft in voting, not one yet they're making the mail-in ballot all but illegal in Georgia. And then, because they make the mail-in ballots illegal and cutting early voting, they're going to have lines and lines and lines, so you make it literally painful, saying no water, no food, stand there for four hours. You know, this is the only way that the GOP can hours, win back Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Greg. And the good news, I suppose, although there's a bad news piece of this is that H.R. 1, the For the People Act, would require states to have enough polling stations that nobody has to stand in line for hours and hours and hours. You know, it would standardize this all across the country so that in those states where they have historically made it very difficult to vote in black neighborhoods, that they simply can't do this anymore, which is, of course, why, you know, Fox News and right wing hate radio are just hysterical about this. I'm getting emails from Freedom Works calling it the gag act. They're trying to shut up the billionaires. They, they're going to have to reveal how much money they're giving and to whom. Oh, my God. You know, it's going to be the end of democracy in America. It's bizarre, but there is a solution to this. And then the bad news to the good news is that the Republicans intend to filibuster the For the People Act, which is a whole nother topic. But this is going to pass the Georgia legislature, right? This cancel pizza uh, legislation. It passed the Georgia legislature on a, a pure party line vote. And of course, you have Brian Kemp, and he's going to sign that thing. So this will be law in Georgia. Now, normally, under the old Voting Rights Act formulation, this would be challenged by the federal government. But we've lost most of the Voting Rights Act Section 5, and this week we also had a very frightening debate about eliminating what is called Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, Tom, which allows you to sue after the fact. You know, the Section 5 allowed you to stop these tricks before there's an election. It's called preclearance. That's gone. 
But what's still there is that if you do something that clearly has a racial bias to it, that's still Section 2 is still there. And unfortunately, the Supreme Court with, you know, the, the six right-wingers is going to decide whether they're going to rip apart Section 2. Yeah, it's uh, strange times we're living in here, Greg. Greg, thanks a lot for dropping by. It's great talking with you, as always. Very welcome, Tom. Bye. An interesting conspiracy theory, as it were, laid out over on uh, Democratic Underground about Andrew Cuomo. Now, first of all, my opinion of Andrew Cuomo has always been that he's not the cleanest politician out there, let's put it that way, that he kind of epitomizes the machine politician. Yes, he's a Democrat. You know, a lot of us are inclined to say, well, he may be an SOB, but he's my SOB. And I've kind of taken that position up to this point, you know, as these accusations have come out about his... uh, hitting on women. Now, he's been single for the last 15 years. He broke up with his girlfriend, but that's no justification for hitting on people that work for you. There's a power relationship there that's very different from if they had the same power and they were just, you know, somebody somebody flirting with you in the workplace, which is increasingly or largely now also verboten. Louise and I were watching uh, old Cagney and Lacey shows, you know, a TV cop show from the mid-1980s. The, the, we're up to the season that's in 1986. And the guys, the male cops, are constantly hitting on Cagney, who's attractive, but they're equals. And she blows it off, and, you know, it never goes beyond that. But even that today would not be tolerated in workplace. But So anyhow, there, he's got that problem. He's also got this problem of uh, did he or did he not undercount nursing home deaths. He's saying that, if I understand this correctly, that basically if people died in a nursing home, they were counted as a nursing home death. If they died in a hospital, they were counted as a hospital death. And there's nothing wrong with that, that he wasn't trying to hide something. On the other hand, he's got people who worked for him who say, and some documentation that says he was trying to hide things. But so there's all that. And like I said, I'm no fan of Andrew Cuomo. I'd much rather see a, a you know a, a Democrat. New York state politics are so corrupt. You've got Democrats who've been re- voting with Republicans in the state legislature in New York for years. I mean, it's basically you know an old boys club, and it's largely run by the lobbyists. And yeah, we can blame the Supreme Court for a lot of this, et cetera. But still, that's what's going on. But all that said, here's what AP Calc wrote over at DU this morning that made me go, AP wrote, I have this idea that the R's, especially Trump, are behind these revelations about Cuomo, either to destroy Cuomo's further political chances as payback or to get him out of the way so someone can pardon Trump for New York crimes. Trump is also in New York City today. It is smart for Cuomo to call for an investigation and not resign and not allow himself to be frankened. What does anybody else think? You know, you get a whole bunch of responses. I had the same idea. No, Cuomo's critics have been solid Democrats. Maybe he's just a jerk. I've been having the same idea. I believe the women. I mean, all these kind of responses. But the fact of the matter is that it's unlikely that Trump will be charged with any federal crimes, at least that we know of right now, although tax evasion is a possibility. But if he's charged with state crimes or city crimes in New York City, you know, Letitia James, the attorney general for New York State, is going after him in a big way. 
And Cyrus Vance, the district attorney for the city of New York, is going after him in a big way. They both impaneled grand juries. They're both fixing to nail him. The same thing's happening down in Georgia, by the way. It's being run by the district attorney of the city of Atlanta. But that pardon power that presidents have is also in most states. Now, this, it's up to the state constitution. And I believe that there are some states where the governor does not have pardon power. But I'm pretty sure that New York state does. So if they can get Cuomo out and get a Republican in, or even a Democrat who's Trump-friendly, and there are a few such Democrats, and then Trump gets convicted of tax fraud and money laundering and real estate fraud by New York prosecutors or by New York City prosecutors, the governor could pardon him. Is there a bigger game going on here? I frankly have no idea, and I'm very skeptical, but I thought I'd share it with you and get your thoughts on it. The other big thing that I wanted to mention, and this goes back to the conversation that we had with uh, Parker Malloy from Media Matters for America in the previous hour. This whole culture war thing that the Republicans are doing You know, let's not talk about the issues. Let's not talk about unemployment benefits. Let's not talk about the minimum wage. Let's not talk about health care. Let's not talk about uh, COVID. Let's talk about Dr. Seuss. Let's talk about Mr. Potato Head. Now, why are they doing that? I have my own personal theory about this, and I wrote about it on Saturday, actually, on my blog. And that is that there are three kinds of capitalism that are practiced in this world in a major way. And frankly, I only know of these three kinds. And and feel free to enlighten me if I'm missing something here. There is regulated capitalism, which is practiced all across Europe, Scandinavia, in the United States, in most of your countries that are considered advanced democracies. And that is, you know, where capitalism, the game, I mean, capitalism, after all, is just a game, right? It's a game played with money, but it's a game played by people with money, with the goal of making money. There are rules to that game, and those rules are called the regulations. So you have regulated capitalism is number one. That's what we practice here. Then secondly, you have communist capitalism, which is being practiced by Vietnam and China right now, and they're both exploding their economies. I mean, they are growing like there's no tomorrow. But with communist capitalism, you destroy freedom of speech, personal autonomy, and democracy, small d democracy. And then the third kind of capitalism that is practiced widely in the world today, that you find mostly in Russia and Turkey and and throughout the third world and Hungary, I call gangster capitalism. Now you could call it oligarchic capitalism, but it's basically where the government is run by gangsters. And the capitalist system, the capitalism, all the major companies are run by gangsters. And they collaborate as a gang. And, and I'm talking real gangs, you know, like organized crime. Like they kill people that compete with them. And the Democratic Party still holds to this idea of regulated capitalism here that we have here in the United States. But the Republican Party has gone all in on gangster capitalism, on the Russian model or the Hungarian model or the Turkish model. I mean, they're all in on this. We don't need no stinking elections. We don't need no stinking voters. We don't need no stinking regulations. And this really began in 1981 with Reagan and his whole deregulation thing. 
And so I'm thinking that that's what's going on. That they have decided to abandon the idea of small d democracy, or as the founders used to refer to it, small r republicanism, in other words, a republic. They have abandoned the idea of regulated capitalism, a fair form of capitalism where anybody can enter the marketplace. And they've completely embraced gangster capitalism and the distortion of government that comes with it. What say you? This is the Tom Hartman Program. And that's why they're talking about Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head, because, I mean, who wants to come out and say, hey, we're all in favor of oligarchy and gangster capitalism? Steve in Phoenix. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? What's going on here with the governor of New York? There's something, I agree, there's something very nefarious. Trump does have the blood of 450,000 people's dead dead bodies from his lack of COVID response. But this with Cuomo, we got a shadow government going on here. Something was really skitsy with this thing, and it, I, I noticed it a couple of days ago. I started saying something doesn't smell right. And he, he obviously does not want to get prosecuted. You get a Republican in there, drop the charges on him and stuff like that. And also this mask mandate, or the uh, openings of these red states to Texas, Mississippi, and all that, I think we've got a shadow government going on where Trump, he's putting pressure on all these Republican governors to open these states back up. And, and, you know, Arizona is starting to open up more now, too, unfortunately. And I think that's what's going on down there. And I still feel, and I've said this on your show before, all roads with Trump do lead back to Vladimir Putin as well. And Putin, Putin wanted the U.S. to fail. He's mad at us for, uh, for taking down the USSR. And it was more Americans can die and stuff like that. That makes us a weaker country and all that. That truly needs to be investigated. I don't disagree at all. Where this thing is going to go is just a huge challenge. And you think Trump is behind the Cuomo stuff? I think something funny is going on there. Yeah, I think very possibly. I agree. In fact, I even sent an email to some friends on the weekend and suggested this same fact. I don't trust it. Something don't smell right to me, you know? I know you want to get other people in, but thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Mike in Chicago. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? I'm just going to have to follow up with previous caller. I agree. Uh, I find it kind of odd that the one person that doesn't seem to have been brought up, which would, to me, be an obvious person who brought this whole Cuomo stuff up, would be Roger Stone. I mean, we have that Klein 9 episode with Elliot Spitzer. I mean, what's to say? He gets uh, his pardon, and then a few weeks later, all of a sudden, we're getting news about Cuomo. You know, it is kind of Spitzer-ish, and it turns out that the whole Spitzer thing was being coordinated by Roger Stone. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I don't put it past this guy. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to do any investigations. I don't know if they can kind of like look into uh, any of Stone's uh, dealings in uh, in the time since he's been, uh, I guess, released. So see if he, you know, get any phone records or anything like that. That's fascinating. You know, I my first inclination was to blow off this theory, but you're reminding me of Elliot Spitzer and that, you know, everybody at the time thought, oh my God, what a scandal. But it turns out that Stone or one of his associates he was working on behalf of a billionaire who hated Spitzer because Spitzer was prosecuting him. He broke federal law accessing. There was a whole you know, documentary made about this uh, client number nine or client number seven or whatever it was, client number 13. Uh, however, he was identified the federal documents. 
And uh, it's a pretty shocking documentary if you watch it. And there's Roger Stone bragging about, yeah, I took down the governor of New York. That's amazing. Mike, thank you. That's entirely possible. Susan in Saratona Springs, New York. You live in New York, Susan. What do you think? I thought this about Cuomo a week ago. And I had shared it with some people on Facebook. And I do believe that there's something nefarious going on with this Cuomo. Elise Stefanik is a representative for me. I'm in upstate New York. And she wants mm-hmm. to run for governor. So does Tom Reed. And they're both very strong Trump supporters. So I can see, you know, maybe I wouldn't believe there was a payoff for these young women. Because all of a sudden they came out all at once. And it was a long time. I mean, the Me Too movement... It's been going on for quite a while. Why didn't they come out sooner? Yeah. You know, with the cancel culture that we have right now, it reminds me of Hitler almost, like burning books. I mean, are we going to just take everything away that was from a different period of time that was was a different culture then? And Well, government it? has had nothing to do with this, Susan. It was Dr. Seuss's family's foundation that decided to take out of print the pictures that portrayed blacks and Chinese in, in a very negative light. It was Hasbro Toy Company a year ago that decided to make Mr. Potato Head into Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head and whatever kind of potato head you want. I mean, you know, the canceling is not going on at the level of government. So, you know, yeah, I mean, culture changes, but I just don't think that any of this hysteria that's going on over on the Trump side is worth it. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I shouldn't call it the Trump side, the right wing side. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. As I mentioned at the opening of the show, I've got a huge stack of news to get to, but I did want to point out one big thing that happened over the weekend that uh, I I don't think you can overstate what a big deal it is. Joe Manchin on, uh, I believe it it was Fox News of all places, Joe Manchin said, the filibuster should be painful. It really should be painful, and we've made it more comfortable over the years. See, right now, I did an op-ed about this last week. It was called Bring Back the Jimmy Stewart Filibuster. And I said, you know, if you're going to have a filibuster, if you're going to require that the Senate have a filibuster, if you think that's like an important feature of it, even though the founders were opposed to it and it didn't even happen until all the founders were dead. It happened in the late 1830s. John C. Calhoun made the filibuster happen. But if you want to have a filibuster, at least do it the way, you know, in the the Frank Capra movie, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. 
If somebody's filibustering, they have to stand on the floor and they have to have 40 senators or 39 other senators on in the chamber with them at the time. So Manchin goes on to say, maybe it has to be more painful. Maybe you have to stand there. There's things we can talk about. I don't know if Manchin read my op-ed. I know it got widely circulated. It went viral on Twitter, etc. And it did very well on Facebook. And, and, and of course, I wasn't the only person saying this. But now Joe Manchin's saying this. And I think that's a big deal. You'll recall last week I pointed out that there were seven Democrats who voted with Joe Manchin to eliminate the $15 minimum wage from the coronavirus rescue package. Had that not been eliminated in the Senate by this vote, it's entirely possible that Vice President Harris could have simply ignored or overruled the finding of the Senate parliamentarian and said, you know, we're going to do this anyway. She had that power. It's been done before. Trent Lott did it back in 2001. No big deal. In fact, Trent Lott fired the parliamentarian and replaced him with somebody who was willing to go along with the uh, reconciliation bill that they were working on back then, which I believe had to do with a giant tax cut. But we had eight Democrats who voted against this, and now what has come out is the net worth of these eight people who said that people who work a 40-hour week should continue to live in poverty. $15 an hour just squeaks you past the level of poverty if you're working 40 hours a week. Right? It's $15,000 a year right now. It's $750 an hour. That takes you, $15 an hour takes you to $30,000 a year. And that's just above the poverty level, which is in the mid to low 20s. But look at what these people are worth. This is mind-boggling. We don't know what uh, Kirsten Cinema is worth. And Joe Manchin's worth $7.5 These are from their Senate disclosure forms. But Maggie Hassan, the Democrat from New Hampshire, and Jean Shaheen, the Democrat from New Hampshire, they're both worth $3.5 bucks each. John Tester, the Democrat from Montana, he's worth three and a half million bucks. Tom Carper's worth seven and a half million dollars. Joe Manchin's worth seven and a half million. Angus King, the independent from Maine who voted against the $15 minimum wage, he caucuses with the Democrats, he's worth nine and a half million dollars. And Chris Coons, the Democrat from Delaware, is worth $10 million. And by the way, has anybody noticed that Mitch McConnell's wealth, his personal wealth, has increased by $2.5 million a year every year for the last 10 years, according to his Senate disclosure forms? How do you make $2.5 million a year on a $170,000 a year salary? I don't get it. But I think it's just shameful, frankly, that these multimillionaire senators are saying, Democrats, no less, are saying no. You work 40 hours a week, you have to continue to live in poverty. I think that's very sad. And finally, down in Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis, he was very carefully parsing his words. This is the uh, Tampa Bay Tribune, tampabay.com. You can read all about it. At a news conference on March 4th, DeSantis chose his words carefully. He denied that the wealthy Ocean Reef community was a state site, in other words, a state vaccination site, but did not deny that he or the Florida Division of Emergency Management, which distributes vaccines, had a role in authorizing it. And it turns out that Baptist Health, the hospital where these vaccines came from, was forced to cancel, I'm quoting from the Tampa newspapers, was forced to cancel appointments for hundreds of members of the general public who had signed up to get a vaccination because they ran out of supply. Why did they run out of supply? Because they were vaccinating millionaires and multimillionaires in this exclusive high-end community who were big donors to Ron DeSantis. 
the plot thickens. By the way, Joe Biden just sent nominated two female generals, International Women's Day, to elite four-star commands, the Defense Department announced. And this is where it gets really weird. Quote, I'm reading, this is from this news story that I'm reading by Kathy Blank in, in uh, World News. Quote, months after their Pentagon bosses had agreed on their promotions but held them back out of fear that President Donald Trump would reject the officers because they were women. General Jacqueline D. Van Avist of the Air Force is going to head the Transportation Command, which oversees the military's sprawling global transportation network. And Lieutenant General Laura J. Richardson of the Army is going to head the Southern Command, which oversees military activities in Latin America. And now they go to the Senate, where we'll see if there are any Republicans who want to get all hysterical about this and say, no, no, you can't do that. They're women. (laughs) Somehow I doubt that's going to happen, but one never knows. The first member of the Trump administration has been charged by the Justice Department with criminal activity on January 6th. This guy had a top secret clearance. He worked in the State Department. Over in the State Department, he worked in the, in the area that deals with FOIA requests, the Freedom of Information Act requests. His name is uh, Klein, Frederico Klein. He calls himself Freddie Klein. He is seen in the videos of the riot assaulting officers, police officers, with a stolen riot shield. And at another point, he's yelling toward the back, you know, we need fresh people here and trying to get more people up there. He can be seen in the video footage and other images dressed in a red Make America Great Again hat as he's uh, attacking the police. And this is a guy who worked in the Trump administration and had a top security clearance, a top secret security clearance and uh, was just arrested. Amazing. Meanwhile, over on uh, Fox so-called news, Sean Hannity is got this. You can find this over at MediaMatters.org, by the way. Sean Hannity is going off on the uh, $40 billion for higher education that's in this $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, the American relief package. And he's saying these colleges are doing just fine. They're just still collecting tuition and, you know, and implying that they don't even have all the expenses. Well, in fact, the Chronicle of Higher Education estimates that the financial hit on universities, both public and private, is, quote, $85 billion in lost revenue, $24 billion for COVID-related expenses, and $74 billion in anticipated future decreases in state funding. That adds up to a whopping $183 billion a year. And we're going to make them whole with $40 billion in the $1.9 trillion bill, but for Hannity, that's still too much, right? Because it's going to colleges. I mean, colleges are where people get educated. Educated people turn into liberals. Can't have that, can you? Hannity also claimed, this is uh, again from Media Matters, that the proposed $350 billion in aid to state and local governments would, quote, be a bailout for blue high-tax states, blue states with massive budget deficits, states to tax the residents into oblivion, and which are allegedly now looking for a handout from red states. Well, this is what Forbes magazine uh, documented. Of those states suffering at least a 3% drop in revenue since the start of the pandemic in March 2020, two-thirds, 8 of 12, are red states. The most dire examples, Florida and Texas, with revenue declines of 9% or more compared to 2019. There is a bridge in this bill. Hannity says we're putting $1.5 billion towards it. 
Uh, no, it's actually one and a half million dollars, which is like chump change. Now, why is that going to the bridge? Well, it's going to the Seaway International Bridge, which connects the United States with Canada in upstate New York. That bridge is, the maintenance of that bridge is funded with tolls. It's a toll bridge. And nobody's been crossing that bridge because Canada closed the border to the United States. They don't want us up there infecting their people. And that one and a half million bucks will cover the maintenance cost for the bridge. By the way, that one and a half million dollar request was submitted by Treasury Secretary Elaine Chao during the Trump administration. That's how it got into the legislation. Hannity also is complaining about a $500 million in aid to libraries and museums. That's 0.025% of the full relief package. That also originated in the Trump administration. But that's not stopping Hannity from complaining about it or, or uh, Fox News. Uh, meanwhile, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, is getting hit for saying no more masks in Texas. You know, we're good here. We don't need, we don't need no stinking masks. People are pointing out that, no, you're not good. You're seeing an actual increase in COVID rates, which means more mutations, which means a greater danger to all the rest of America. Greg Abbott doesn't care. He just, you know, he's just trying to suck up to his billionaire donors who don't care. So what Greg Abbott has said is that, quote, the Biden, he tweeted this, quote, the Biden administration is recklessly releasing hundreds of illegal immigrants who have COVID into Texas communities. Turns out it's a bald-faced lie. As immigration expert Aaron Reichland Melnick tweeted in response, he said, this is an utter lie, and it is even worse because it comes the day after Abbott ended all statewide precautions for COVID. In total, 108 people who tested positive have been released in Texas since late January. That's not hundreds. It's not even an average of four people a day. Daily Kos, uh, this was written by Gabe Ortiz for Daily Kos, by the way, .com. Uh, Abbott's Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick similarly pointed his racist finger at asylum-seeking families. Patrick is the guy who, by the way, had last year said senior citizens would be willing to die, get COVID and die in order to keep the, the stock market up, right? Or, and save Walmart or something like that. The Texas Observer, talking about Dan Patrick, the Lieutenant Governor, said, and I quote, Way back in 2006, when he was transitioning from radio shock jock to candidate for a state senate district in the Houston Burbs, Dan Patrick was busy telling audiences that immigrants are pathogenic marauders bringing third world diseases with them. Turns out, multiple countries in Central America actually have better vaccination rates than the United States. And the U.S. has more COVID cases than any country in the world. And finally, and then I'll pick up your calls here, the Senate Finance Committee, 14 Republicans on the panel, all voted against Javier Becerra as Secretary of HHS. Now, Becerra has, is an outspoken advocate of Medicare for All and of the government negotiating drug prices, lowering drug prices, and doing away with this bizarre law that was passed in 2005 that said that it was illegal for Medicare to negotiate drug prices. The military can do it. The Veterans Administration can do it. The insurance companies can do it. Hospitals can do it. But Medicare, no, you can't do that. It was just a naked attempt to, A, weaken Medicare, and B, shovel a whole bunch of cash into the coffers of the pharmaceutical companies. And here we are. The 14 Republican members of the panel have taken $36.1 from the health sector, including $9.6 from Big Pharma. 
Marion Lynn, a spokesman for the Accountable Senate War Room, noted, while Javier Becerra has spent his career taking on the pharmaceutical industry for their corrupt price gouging, Senate Republicans have spent their political careers lining their pockets with millions of dollars from big pharma. And then uh, they go through the list. Ranking member Mike Crapo has accepted $1.8 million from the health sector. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, $3.7 million. John Cornyn from Texas, $1.7 million. Richard Burr from North Carolina, all Republicans, uh, $4.8 million. Bill Cassidy five, uh, from Louisiana, $5.1 million. John Barrasso from Wyoming, $2.7 million. You can't literally say in exchange for that, but I would say the implication is pretty obvious that in exchange for that, they said, you know, Javier Becerra should not be our HHS secretary because he does want America to pay reasonable prices for drugs instead of paying, in some cases, as much as 10 times what the citizens of, for example, Canada or people in the military pay for the exact same pharmaceuticals. I mean, we can't have that, can we? So we've got all these 14 Republican senators on the take voting no for Becerra. Nonetheless, it deadlocked the committee. 1414, and so it, Becerra is going to the full Senate. I can guarantee you every Republican will vote against him, but hopefully we can get him through. He's a good man. Bob in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? Yes, uh, Tom, I was wondering if you're familiar with Norm Ornstein's article he recently wrote in the Washington Post about various workarounds uh, for the filibuster, if we can't get rid of it, how we can really inconvenience beyond the Jimmy Stewart type of inconvenience to really make it hard for the Republicans to hold back H.R. 1 and other critical things that we need to get through. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I I read that over the weekend. There was there uh, there was a blog post someplace that referenced it. uh, And it was in The Washington Post, wasn't it? Or was it The New York Times? Yeah. And then he was also on Lawrence O'Donnell, which prompted me to Google. And then I came across Uh, the Washington Post article. It's I think it's valuable to get out there. I wanted to mainly call to, you know, let your listeners know, because if Manchin's not willing uh, to get rid of it, we need to at least inconvenience him because, you know, we all know the consequences if we don't get rid of the filibuster. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and, and it looks like Manchin is bending under the pressure. I think that um, he, I don't know if this is true of Kristen Cinema. I think she's so badly misreading the public. You know, when she came out and voted no on the $15 minimum wage, she did the John McCain thumbs down. But John yeah, McCain did that to save Obamacare, to, you know, to save health care right. for about 30 million Americans. She did it to take away a raise from about 20 million Americans. And I'm not sure it's playing well in Arizona. Yeah, yeah that was a false equivalency, certainly, if she was trying to emulate McCain under it was sad to see. But we need to. And when she was rising up through the ranks, she was Miss Progressive. I mean, she was, you know, all in on the minimum wage. In fact, an old tweet of hers is being retweeted now from three or four years ago, where she was basically saying, you know, if we can't afford to pay non-poverty wages, you know, companies shouldn't be in business. And she started out as a progressive. She had the progressive base behind her. And a lot of people donated to her campaign to get her into Congress. And I don't think that she's going to get that kind of support going around the next cycle, which concerns me because that might put a Republican up against her. On the other hand, she may be facing a serious challenge from a progressive in a primary. 
Time will tell. But yeah, I saw Nora Mornstein's piece and I thought it was excellent. And I agree with you that it does need to get out and needs to get a wider audience. Bob, thanks a lot for the call. Heidi in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Heidi, what's up? Hi, Tom. I wanted to talk about Meghan Markle's son not being given the title Prince. And Mm -hmm. that was really under the Title Deprivation Act of 1917 under George V. And one of the reasons it was passed because of World War I there were too many princes and princesses because the title just kept going down through the generations, and a lot of those actually had German citizenship. So under George V, they passed an act that you could only be titled prince and pr- or princess if you were grandchild of the sovereign or in direct right. line, such as, you know... Right, so uh, if Charles becomes the king, king, Harry and, and Meghan's child becomes a prince. But right, apparently not. Exactly. No, he does. He does. It actually has to. It, I mean, it's a law in England. Interesting. It's a Interesting. Law. Heidi, thank you for that. I didn't know about that. Thank you so much for that backstory. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. NetSuite.com slash Hartman. That's NetSuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? A quick thought, something that I think has been grotesquely overlooked in all the reporting of the COVID relief bill. In my opinion, one of the very most important things in that bill is that $300 child credit per month per child. You mean three? I think we'll do. Yeah, three thousand dollars a year, right? It's thirty-six hundred if the child is under six years old, and three thousand if they're between seven and eighteen, as I recall. Yeah, right, right. I think that's going to have you know significant effect on probably one of the greatest disgraces in the country, and that is the percentage of children that live in poverty. Something that is it's going to cut it in half. 
Literally, this piece of legislation that just passed is going to cut child poverty in the United States in half. That additional $3,600 or $3,000, depending on the age of the child, and keep in mind, most families have more than one child, that money is going to raise those families' income above the poverty level, and you're going to to lift half of the children in America living in poverty right now out of poverty in the next six months or so, or in the next year. When I read that figure in the New York Times, yes, finally, at last, we can undo at least a goodly percentage of this incredible disgrace. And uh, I just wish it were being discussed. I haven't heard any mention of all mainstream media, of course. And it's just something something that needs to be talked about. I think at least as much as the $15 an hour wage, which, of course, should be 20 at least, but apart from that. I just thought I'd call and encourage everyone to give this more consideration because I think it's an absolutely enormously important uh, change which has been needed for what 40 years at least forever probably yeah i'm with you there are a bunch of things in this bill i actually printed out a list of them this morning that people really need to know about and i don't think most people do know about nicholas and to a certain extent the republicans you know their big complaint about it is it's not all about covid and no, yeah, you know, right. lifting children out of poverty is not about COVID, but yeah. it's something that should have been done for a long, long time. And yeah. one of the things I thought was notable was that I was not hearing Republicans screaming specifically about that child tax credit. In fact, you had Mitt Romney in favor of it. You know, the, yeah. the Mormons who have big families, they're like, hey, this is cool, right? Anyhow, Nicholas, thank you for the call. It's always nice to hear from you, and thank you for helping moderate our YouTube chat room. I do appreciate it. Carrie in New Windsor, New York. Hey, Carrie, what's on your mind? Happy Women's History Month. Did you see where a federal judge uh, just said, no, the you can't have the Equal Rights Amendment, even though the 34th or 38th state just ratified it? I forget which state it was. I think it might have been Virginia. Some state just ratified it, which hit the threshold. And the Equal Rights Amendment, which says that you may not discriminate against somebody on, on the basis of sex, it was supposed to go into law. It was supposed to be added to the Constitution. It was supposed to be the latest constitutional amendment because it passed Congress and it passed three quarters of the states. But this federal judge said, no, you can't do it. You waited too long. It's crazy. No. Are you serious? Yeah. And so now they're deciding whether to take it to the Supreme Court or not. I'm pretty sure it's going to end up before the Supreme Court. But so this has been I going on for a, a half a century. If I can share the gender sure. gap. Mm-hmm. I got this article that says it'll take 257 years for women to have all of the same economic opportunities as men, the new study says. And that was from the World Economic Forum that did this thing called the Global Gender Gap Report. And they've done it every year for a while now, and they didn't even bother to do it this year. (laughs) Apparently, I Mm -hmm. couldn't find it. But... Um, As far as last year, that's up from 202 years, the gap was. Now, this is all countries combined, and this is four different factors combined, right? Right. But literally, we've gone down 55 years, okay? So the World Economic Forum report two years ago was like, yeah, it's going to take 202 years for there to be equality of men and women in the world. And then... The next year, they're like, yeah, no, it's going to be 257 years because you all suck so bad. And so, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So they gave reasons, but on a more positive note, there's this other article that I wanted to just refer people to. 
And it's about Iceland because Iceland's number one. So nowhere in the world, just so you know, everybody, do women have, are women equal to men? Nowhere. And Iceland is number one in achieving that, and they're 87% of the way there. Yeah, and isn't, like, Norway number two behind them? Something like that, yeah, yeah. So as far as the United States, I know people are wondering, before I just end with the referral to this article... The World Economic Forum report was like 151 years is the gap for the United States. North America, North America. Okay, so this is by globalcitizen.org. It says seven, it's from 2017. It says seven laws that show why Iceland ranks first for gender equality. And then the subtitle is every country should have these feminist laws. Can I say it again? Sure. Seven laws that show why Iceland ranks first for gender equality. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. It's great to hear from you. Spot on. Will in Broomfield, Colorado. Hey, Will, what's up? Tom, I think that we as liberals need to do two things to address the conservative rhetoric. First of all, we need to acknowledge the era of debate is over. There is no point trying to persuade conservative politicians or talking heads or anything, making them listen to reason or sense or anything like that. They're beyond that. It's been that way at least since Gingrich. There's no reasoning with them because being unreasonable has been working to their advantage. And that gets to the second point. What we need to do instead is rather than debate them, attack them with shame and not attack them directly, because again, they've got no conscience. They don't, they don't feel shame. We're gonna attack them to make their followers feel just a little bit ashamed of what their leaders are doing. You know, mm-hmm. if we you know, persuade one person in a hundred that Donald Trump really was a monster, that's 730,000 people who voted for him in 2020 who are persuaded mm-hmm. not to do so next time. And a more specific example, you're talking about Lauren Boebert earlier. I'm living in her district right now. And every day or every week, there's at least one letter pointing out what Lauren Boebert is doing and how it's bringing shame upon the people of the third district in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we're not going to mm-hmm. persuade her to change her mind. But after only two months of calling her out on the stuff that she's doing, there are six named Coloradoans in the third district who say they're running against her in 2022. Two of them are Republicans because wow. we're, because people are getting wise to the notion this woman is nuts. There's no debating her. There's no making her come around to see that her position is different. So we're going to remind her voters, hey, she's a nut. You voted for her. And yeah. keep up the pressure, and we get more people like us, people willing to say, I've got a conscience, cannot, and oppose them. We're not going to change their minds. We need to remove them. And one way to do that yeah. is to remind their followers, decent human beings don't act like that. Well, and now you've got this group that has these uh, portable billboards. They had a billboard truck in D.C. They're 
towing billboards in uh, Texas and I believe Florida calling out Ted Cruz as a traitor, calling out Ron DeSantis as a killer. They were calling out Trump and the Republicans in general in D.C. I think that message and method that you're talking about, Will, I think it's being used and it's being used effectively. So spot on. Thank you. And thanks for the report from the 3rd District. It's great to hear from you. I truly appreciate it. Mike in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom. How are you doing? Can you uh, share your perspective on the imbalance of power, the, the breakdown in, in the, the shared power that should be there between the Senate and the president. As we think about the mm-hmm. issues that we're having now with McConnell's wife misusing her power, that information getting to the Trump Justice Department, but them choosing not to investigate it, while at the same time, he chooses to procrastinate or delay an impeachment proceeding. Um, who right. gets to hold both of them accountable in a breakdown like that, where it seems like a pretty corrupt quid quo pro between the leaders of the two parts of our, our system. Well, there was a criminal referral for Elaine Chowd, uh, Mitch McConnell's wife, to the Justice Department, but Bill Barr killed it. That could be repeated. That could happen again. In terms of Mitch McConnell himself, I don't know. He just got reelected. Uh, you know, he's got another five years to go. I don't have an easy answer for that one, do you? I don't really either. That's why I kind of want to talk to somebody that's more of an expert. But it it seems like something that needs more attention, right? And as he's shamefully sitting at a resort now, um, knowing that proceedings for several other things, right, there's a whole list of things that are worthy of impeachment besides the things that we chose to go with. But it seems shameful knowing that just the things that we did choose got procrastinated. And then after the fact, the justification for not impeaching was that he's no longer in office. It seems like a a broken system all around. and Somebody should have... Uh, somewhere in this, this checks and balance system, there should be a check or a balance for the two leaders kind of giving each other the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? And this is around the, the impeachment. Yeah, well, and, and McConnell was right there with Trump, basically, you know, denying the, the danger of COVID and everything else. I mean, I think at the very least, the media, you know, the, the previous caller, this idea of shaming them is a place to start. And I'm just not seeing it, which surprises me. Mike, thank you for the call. I mean, on the media that is this program, I've been calling them out for some time and I'm explicitly doing it today. But in general, I don't know. We'll see. Maureen in Geneva, Illinois. Hey, Maureen, what's up? We should look into all of the Catholic radio stations popping up all over the, the country, something called ETWN and Relevant Radio here in the Midwest, continuously finding reasons to criticize the Democrats and apparently being racist and not being ashamed of it. Wow. Constantly talking about Nancy Pelosi and her sagging boobs. This on a supposedly Catholic radio station. You're uh, kidding. Somebody should target these supposed Catholic radio stations and find out just who is contributing to them and keeping them alive. Yeah. I went through a real religious streak in my life back in my early 20s when Louise and I were living in Detroit. I was working at RCA and I was driving around a lot, commuting and whatnot. And there was a Catholic station that did a 15-minute read of the rosary 
every morning. I had a rosary and I just used to recite it along with these guys. They never talked about politics. They never even talked about abortion, you know, hot button issues. I mean, it was always just kind of pretty straightforward, uh, kind of like going to church stuff, which I found frankly pleasant. But I'm seeing this phenomenon, Marine, that the televangelists have become right wing televangelists. And I don't know about the Catholic stations, but there are a lot of Protestant religious stations across the country that have become just another arm of right wing hate radio. So instead of just 1,500 right-wing hate radio stations in the country, we now have an additional somewhere between 700 and 1,000 right-wing religious stations in the country. And they're a force. They are an actual force. And they are moving the dial in terms of electoral politics. And they're doing it with a nonprofit status, which is mind-boggling. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's up? Hi. I want to know where were the free speech snowflake Confederate Republicans? when Dan Rather, Mary Mates, and Phil Donahue were canceled. And dare I say, I also was canceled when they started systematically not allowing me to call right-wing talk radio. And most recently, most of the news networks that have internet comment lines regarding their uh, stories, they canceled all of that, so we can't even make comments on the uh, stories that the uh, right-wing news media feeds to us all the time. And these hypocritical Republicans, they're crybabies. They're, these snowflakes said nothing when they were canceling Dan Rather. Major network news anchor. Yeah, and you know why they canceled him, Larry? They canceled him because he had evidence. Turned out that the source of the evidence might have been a little dicey, but after he got fired, we discovered that the evidence was actually 100% true that George W. Bush went AWOL for over a year, which, by the way, is at that point, you are, you know, during time of war, you have committed a crime that you can be imprisoned for the rest of your life for. That George W. Bush went AWOL from the Champagne unit of the Texas Air National Guard that his daddy got him into so that he wouldn't have to go to Vietnam, you know, because he was going to be drafted. I mean, that was Dan Rather's big sin. And, and Phil Donahue, of course, was opposed to the war in uh, Iraq and General Electric owned MSNBC at the time. And they are a major defense contractor and probably saw that war as an opportunity to make some serious bucks. And so they canceled him. So, yeah, I'm with you, Larry. Where were these snowflakes back then? Totally. Mike in Simi Valley. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, love your show, Tom. I want to mention to you about Manchin. I I don't understand exactly where he stands. I know he has friends across the aisle, but the heavies that really call the shots, he doesn't really, does he relate to them or just a few that don't call the shots? I think that what's going on here, Mike, is that Manchin knows that a large chunk, if not maybe even the majority of West Virginia citizens, at least those who vote, watch Fox News. And for years, Joe Manchin has been a regular on Fox News. And so he has to have a little bit of Fox News friendly stuff or they're just going to trash him. And and in fact, it was on Fox News over the weekend where he said, you know, if we're going to change the rules of the filibuster so that people have to stand there and it has to be a little painful, that's okay with me. That's a big step forward for Joe Manchin. But, you know, keep in mind, he's representing a state, West Virginia, that Donald Trump won by over 20 points. Yes. Well, and so, one last thing I just want to mention is the fact that right now what's going on, it seems you know, there's so much misrepresentation and there's so much ignorance and violence. And, you know, those signs that you're talking about, that's a start. I hopeful, Hopefully that keeps on going. Yeah, I agree. Randy in Tempe, Arizona. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind today? I got a uh, question about democracy, whether it's worth 
preserving like the one we have right now and whether maybe we ought to move towards something like more direct democracy because i know in arizona whenever something worth passing has like really been passed it's been through initiatives and referendums just like our past marijuana bill just like prop 208 which just passed which is one of the biggest raises to teachers and funding which we're in a state where we're usually 50th in education and right now our electorate in arizona is trying to find a loophole to overturn that funding bill specifically because of Doug Ducey and his Republicans. So I'm just kind of noticing that a lot of the better deals we get are typically from direct voter action rather than having to work within the state. And it's, I don't know, I sometimes I think it might be like a generational thing between progressives and leftists, but I just, I love democracy. I just don't somehow, I, it's hard to predict it when there's Democrats like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin that we have to, uh, get behind sometimes. Yeah. I think there's a larger problem or maybe a, a floor underneath the problems that you're identifying, Randy, that you're missing, and that is the corrupting power of money in politics. We yeah. used to have laws to keep money out of politics or to at least regulate money in politics to the point where individual billionaires, individual industries, individual lobbyists could not have the outsize influence that they have now. Because I've seen good ballot measures go down in flames. For example, in California, you had one that would have required Uber to start considering their, their workers as employees. Yeah, all, it do, all it did was give them things like workman's comp and unemployment insurance and stuff like that. You know, but just basic stuff that anybody who's working yeah. full time should be entitled to. And it had broad popular support until... Uber and Lyft came in and poured, you know, tens of millions of dollars into California media and suddenly opinions yeah, changed. That's a great point. And, you know, we saw the same thing with a, with a carbon tax in Washington state, had over 70% popular support in the state until the fossil fuel industry came in and poured tens of millions of dollars into the media. So direct democracy, like you're talking about, you know, I'm not opposed to it. It's a fine thing. We've got it here in Oregon as well. And it's done some good stuff, but it's also done some bad stuff. And representative democracy, you know, we see victories. In fact, we're, you know, we just saw one last week with the COVID relief bill. But both yeah, of but them have been corrupted equally question. by money and politics. And that's what we got to get yeah. under control. But like the COVID relief bill, it's a victory for some people. And for the people who need it, I'm really grateful they're going to get it. But I mean, the most important parts of the bill were scrapped because a majority of the Senate has a different opinion than the majority of Americans who do support a $15 minimum wage. Yeah, I'm not sure the minimum wage was the most important part of that bill because it didn't, I mean, the whole point of the parliamentarian was that the minimum wage has nothing to do with the COVID epidemic. If you're positioning this as a COVID relief bill, there were other technical arguments, but that was the big one. And I think that's a fairly cogent one. I think that, you know, they need to bring up a higher minimum wage at the, at the very least, but really where we need to start is money in politics and that means overturning yeah. the citizens united decisions of buckley bilotti and citizens united randy i gotta run thanks you've been listening to tom hartman for audio and video archives visit tomhartman.com 